welcome to episode 74 of the United Pubcast, your latest edition in self-isolation, something for you to listen to while you are walking the dog or having your one exercise out in a day as the government allows. But um, a, another guest on the podcast this week, a guy who I met a few years ago, I think we'll get into, is probably five or six years, actually, even longer than that, from Melbourne, uh, Matt Galea. How are you, man? Good, mate. It's uh, good to have a chat again. Yeah, it's been a while. We'll get into sort of how we met, etc., um, as we go through the podcast. But as we say, I say this at the start of every podcast, there is no real football to talk about. So we're just looking for types of podcasts that just sort of put a smile on your face, go over memories, etc. So Matt obviously has a very sort of pretty interesting story in terms of supporting United in Australia. So we're going to talk about mainly just sort of the challenges and everything sort of United fans in Australia do face, etc. Um, go through some stories like trips to Old Trafford, etc. When Man United have visited Australian shores, um, some stories and memories about there. So just maybe an hour or so of just sort of good memories. And um, I think we'll touch on maybe a bit of transfer news at the end because there is a little bit of, um, I wouldn't say concrete news, but maybe a little bit more substance to some of the transfer rumours. Yeah, so we're just going to maybe start from the beginning. Um, a lot of you on Facebook and Twitter may already know, especially our Australian listeners, of the Facebook page um, MUFC, which is the Australian Man United Supporters Association. Now, for those who do know that, obviously Matt was the founder, and that is how I, through social media and Facebook, um, got in contact with Matt many, many years ago. Um, you'll have to remind me on how many years ago it was, because I just said five at the start of the podcast, but it's definitely longer than that. I think that. it was longer than that. <laughs> yeah, it had to be, but it, that's, how time, that's how quick it goes. But um, yeah, maybe just a little background noise on how it started, why it started, and obviously for me when it started, so I, you can re-educate me. Well, it's funny because now I'm struggling to remember exactly when I started, but I think it was around 2011 or 2012. Uh, it was really sort of inspired just by my own trips to, to my, my, my first trip to Old Trafford. Um, and it was the first time I think I'd really um, had that, you know, match day experience and not just match day experience, but meeting up with, you know, fellow fans that I'd, I'd connected with through through Twitter um, you know, before games, the night before games and, and sort of going out in Manchester with them. And it was something that I hadn't been exposed to back home. Um, and I knew that there were supporter clubs, but I didn't really know much about when they when they meet or, um, you know, the one in Melbourne, for instance, they had like monthly catch-ups, um, but they were sort of out of the way from where I live. So I didn't, I didn't necessarily go to those. And it was more about trying to, I guess organize for those who weren't maybe unofficial fan clubs or um, or were just looking for other Australians to connect with um, whether they're in their whether that's online or in person um, creating I guess sort of an online community that could uh, hold those discussions and you know I um, I was always very interested in 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 those years I was still at uni I was you know hoping to become a journalist and uh, I was, you know, doing the, the blogging thing and all that sort of stuff. So I thought that could be a, another way that AusMUFC could sort of uh, give a voice to the Australian um, Manchester United supporting community. So I think our first introduction was really either me asking you or us talking about you writing for the blog, if, if I remember yeah. correctly. Um, 
And yeah, so that was fun. You know, that was a good little project for, for me at uni and it was good to meet a heap of United supporters and, and get to the, um, the Charles Dickens Tavern here in Melbourne and, and watch a few big games there. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, you know, with, with life and, you know, moving into full-time work and all that sort of stuff, it's, I've still got all the Facebook pages and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the website's down. You know, it's the sort of thing that's always in the back of my mind. Oh, maybe I should resurrect it and, and give it another crack or, or you know, act as an editor and, and just give a platform to younger, I guess, United fans who, who might be interested in writing about the club. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's sort of a bit it's fallen a bit to the wayside, unfortunately. But, yeah, it was certainly um, – yeah, it was really just a – meant to be an online community. I never really had ambitions of it becoming officially recognised by the club. It was more just to help people who didn't know about the Australian, you know, Manchester United supporters clubs, um, you know, be able to go to one central spot and find where their nearest, you know, pub would be for, you know, to watch a match or where the nearest supporters club would be if they were interested in signing up or, um, and, and even, you know, as in the later, in the later days, actually telling the stories of the supporters clubs. Hmm. Um, so we did a lot of work with sort of uh, the the Brisbane Supporters Club when they were starting up, and talking to the boys there about um, you know their their experiences supporting the club because obviously they had a few expats, so guys who had you know lived in Manchester or had come from the UK um, and to Australia. So you know we got to talk to people like that. I think one interview we even did was with uh, a guy called Nick Kopak, who he's from Cairns, I believe. Um, but he he ended up working for the club in their media department, so you know you'd see his name. Yeah, I think I've seen his name pop up from time to time. I think. Um, yeah, I definitely so recognise the name. Yeah, so you know that was a really interesting story about an Aussie United fan who you know I guess lived the dream. Uh, if you can't play for them, then you know you can work for them, and and uh, he you know his name was on a lot of the articles that you would read on ManUnited.com for. A few years there um, I don't think he's there anymore but you know that they were the sort of interesting stories I think I was more looking to to try and tell through Ozem UFC and, and also give guys like yourself you know if you had a, an opinion or something that you wanted to write about the club you know give you that platform where you'd have a I guess a ready-made audience to read it and discuss it and uh, and fuel you know fuel those sort of conversations and you know it's been great to see what you guys have done with the pubcast uh, what, what episode did you say this is? 70, 74? Yeah, we're getting up there, 73, 74. So um, yeah. it's coming on to a year now. So, yeah, we're pumping them out. But as you say, yeah. it's good to obviously sort of a two-man job at the moment, myself and Larry. But I think it's yeah. always good to sort of get different – which we've had many guests on in the um, last couple of weeks during this lockdown. Um, sort of like the same sort of idea as when you started out with your Facebook page, almost just given a platform. If someone wants to share something, whether it be about – a transfer or a player's performance or a story about a trip to Old Trafford or anything regarding that, I think it's just a good... Because we always talk about social media being just this toxic place and full of negativity. I think it's important sometimes where you can just take a step back and try and be nice to people and try and be positive because, especially this time in terms of the lockdown and everything, everyone's stuck inside and obviously stuck on social media. That's how everyone's interacting and you think... it probably would turn into a very negative time. However, I think everyone having to reach out over social media is actually kind of ha- everyone's sort of very nice to each other and it is a positive feeling. I don't know if that's a bit of a phase everyone's going through at the moment and it will wear thin eventually. But um, I think the last couple, and maybe I think a lot of it coincides with there being actual no football. So I think stress levels are a little bit lower. <laughs> but um, 
No, I think it's good. Um, if you do provide someone with a platform, I think everyone's very sort of grateful and I think, um, yeah, it is very positive to sort of help each other and um, anything with United. Like you could talk about, you know, as you say, transfers or you know, trips to Old Trafford or your favourite player or your favourite goal. And if, when you just start talking to a fellow fan about memories, um, you just enjoy it. And I think we've got to do more things that we do enjoy. Now, you were just saying then about one of the things, obviously you, had a, you got in touch with some of the Brisbane boys when they were just starting there or becoming an official supporters club in terms of one of the really good things about your Facebook page and your website in terms of it's a very different time now, as you say, 2011 or 2012. However, there was no connection. I'm obviously, myself and Larry, are part of the Man United Supporters Club here in Sydney, New South Wales. Mm. But there was mm. definitely no connection then. And a lot of that was probably down to the lack of or the sort of the, the new era of social media. You didn't have those connections with the other supporters clubs. But definitely then it was a struggle. Like there was just the, no real communication line. So this club wanted to do their thing. This club wanted to do their thing. They wanted to do their thing. There was new sort of branches popping up all over the place. But there was no one was really on the same wavelength. Now, obviously, obviously that's changed a lot. And the club obviously visiting Australia twice has helped that a lot. But um, it was obviously a very different landscape um, back then in 2011. Um, just your sort of experiences and opinions when that was sort of starting out? I mean, I wouldn't say, uh, obviously, you know, the, the guys in Brisbane and then later in Perth um, who have, you know, started up a, a really good club over there as well. Um, I wouldn't say I had a, necessarily an influence on how they went about starting those clubs. But for me, it was really just... I guess, sharing their stories and helping them publicise, you know, what they were doing and then they could run away with it and, and do whatever they wanted with it. And I think Brisbane did it really, really well. Um, Perth did it did it well as well. At, at the start, I've sort of, I've sort of fallen off uh, in terms of understanding what's happening around the country. But at that time, yeah, I def- even, even as someone who had reached out to, like, the Melbourne Supporters Club and... Um, the, the New South Wales one, I definitely got that vibe that maybe I, maybe I didn't communicate what I was trying to do well enough, but I did at times get this feeling that they were just very much interested in doing whatever they were doing and, it, you know, they, they didn't really um, much of an interest of engaging with the other clubs. But I think, like you said, the turning point was probably that 2013 yeah. um, Sydney tour and obviously what happened at, you know, pre-game with the with the, uh, the Legends dinner, which was great because obviously that was probably... And, and then obviously the, the pre-game stuff, at, was it Cheers? Is that where we went? Um, yeah, well, that, that was a weird one, which we'll, we'll actually get into. We'll, um, we'll get into the Sydney tour in a little bit, but remember to bring up Cheers because that was a um, it was an interesting topic in regards to the connection between the two different supporters clubs or the yeah. multiple supporters clubs. But um, yeah, we'll definitely get into that. But um, yeah, So I, I wasn't across how, you know, or how that all sort of worked, but... Um, I think that that tour was maybe one of the first times in, in a very long time that all the different supporters clubs were in the same yeah. room um, and talking to each other potentially. So um, I like to think maybe Aussie UFC played a small role in, I guess, yeah, opening definitely. up the channels of communication. But um, ultimately it had to come down to the clubs and, and their willingness and the people on those committees to to open up those lines of communication within themselves. Um, but, you know, AusMUFC was good in that um, it gave lots of people a platform to, to write about the club in Australia. Um, I think the online conversations it drove, it drove were really good. Um, and, you know, for, for me as someone who, who did want to get into journalism, um, 
you know, it gave me an arena to practice my craft on, on the subject that I love. So, um, yeah, it served its purpose from, from that point of view. And, um, you know, if anyone, if anyone listening was, was interested in, in getting it sort of up and running again, I'd, I'd certainly be more than happy to have a conversation about, you know, getting the website started if there was someone out there willing to contribute to it. But, um, yeah, in terms of uh, getting it started and, and, and what it did, I think, yeah, I, I was just really pleased that it, it gave a platform for, for some Australian fans to, I guess, showcase their support for the club um, you know, be a be a ground for those sort of conversation between the different supporters clubs. No, definitely. And you just mentioned there in terms of well, it did start as a little bit of a project and going through uni sort of thing. But obviously, you wanted to go into journalism, and you since have done. And you've just, um, which I've seen a lot of these interviews in the past, but you just rattled off a few names before we started. Um, some of the names you've actually interviewed over the last couple of seasons, um, in terms of Man United names. If you just want to go through a few of those and sort of. Any highlights of interviews or people you've met or stories you've heard, etc.? Yeah, well, um, the first time I went to Old Trafford, I actually... So I met with Wayne Barden, who's since gone on to write a heap of Manchester United books. And, you know, I used to contribute to a couple of his uh, his blogs and jumped on his podcast. And, you know, he's, he's done a tremendous job of building a really strong network of ex-United players. So... Over the course of the years, you know, working on some of his podcasts and his projects, you know, I've, I've gotten to speak to guys like Gordon Hill, um, uh, Curtis, Mark Wilson. So, you know, youth youth team players um, who, who made a few first team appearances. Um, but obviously in Melbourne, you know, we've got Jesper Olsen living here as well, who's probably a, a familiar name for those who remember the, the 80s. Um, and, you know, Great, great experiences getting to talk to those guys. Um, yes, but I've spoken to, I think, three, three or four times for, for, for proper interviews. I think only one of those times was, was actually to, for an interview about Manchester United. Um, they're typically either uh, about some sort of local football angle or um, the most recent time I spoke to him was after um, Cruyff passed away a few years ago. Mm. Um, and that we really just focused on. He's obviously the other half of that, you know, famous um, penalty kick routine, which uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Henri and Perez tried a few years later and didn't quite uh, perfect. And I think Messi and Suarez did it more recently yeah, as well. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah. Well, around the, around that time when Cruyff passed away, I think so. Um, that was sort of that was sort of the yeah that was sort of the link. It was before he died, I'm pretty sure, but. Um, Anyway, that was the one everyone was sort of talking about. But, yeah, so Jesper and, and Cruyff sort of did that first. And, you know, so we were just talking about that. But um, the last time I spoke to Jesper about something United-related, was it was after Moyes got sacked. And I think the angle I was going for was, you know, Jesper was obviously at the club when Atkinson got sacked. So that was the last time a United manager had been sacked. And it was just really interesting, I guess, to draw some parallels. You know, what's it like at a club when the manager gets sacked, particularly Man United? Um, you know, it was different with Sir Alex coming in. Um, understanding, you know, when it, what the difference between Atkinson and Sir Alex was, and and that was really that Fergie, from from day dot, you know, he he made it clear he wanted to control everything in the club, from the youth team to you know the resis and 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 everything else, you know, for pretty much managing everything football related at the club. Um, and obviously, that's probably not something that's possible anymore with with 
with the behemoth that United has become. So, um, you know, whoever replaced Moyes, and it was obviously um, gigs on an interim basis before Van Gaal got the job, but, um, you know, they were never going to get the opportunity to completely shape the club in their image like Sir Alex Scott over such a you yeah. know, extended period of time. So, um, yeah, that was that was an interesting chat that, that we had. Um, Gordon Hill's a, a good laugh. You know, I've, I've done a few podcasts with him um, and he's, he's always very forthright in his opinions about the club. Um, yeah, makes a lot of sense back. when he... Tw- yeah, he doesn't hold back, but he makes a lot of sense uh, yeah. more often than not. So, uh, and he, he's always a, a really good guy to talk to. Um, John Curtis and Mark Wilson, I've only spoke, I think I spoke to John a couple of times. Mark, I probably only spoke to once, but they were just always really good to talk to from the point of view that it, it never ceases to amaze me when you talk to these, these guys who came through the, the youth team and maybe they played only a, you know, a handful of first team appearances, but when they talk about their time in the youth team and, you know, you know how involved Sir Alex was in, in that side of the club. It still it never ceases to amaze me just how much contact he had in terms mm-hmm. of the feedback. You know, if even if he wasn't giving it to them directly, it was coming through other staff at the club or yeah, you know, yeah. I think way... I think people like that, like players like that, like let's put it from our pod, put it, put our podcast hat on. Okay, a dream person to have on the podcast would be a Ronaldo or David Beckham or a Sir Alex Ferguson. However. Sometimes it's players like that who are just on the fringes who never quite made it. Sometimes they're the ones who have like a, the very interesting story. So at the moment I'm reading um, Ben Thornley's book, who obviously was part of that sort of class of '92 era sort of thing, and was maybe tipped to be one of the better players in that group. But obviously never his career never eventuated through a sort of really bad injury. But he's got a fascinating story. But um, yeah, I think that's always really important is to get when you go to read an interview or listen to something. Don't always get drawn in by the the huge Galactico name sort of thing. Sometimes the really f- interesting and engaging stories are those players who never quite made it because they're everyone knows the story of the the guys who made it. It's very sort of textbook nine nine times out of ten. You know exactly the steps they took to get where they want it, and you know the story. But it's the stories but, that you don't know, which are sometimes very interesting. And I think it's the stories that those other guys tell you that demonstrate why Sir Alex was so successful and why the teams he built were so good because yeah. you can see how high the, the standard was, but it was never at the cost of being human, hmm. if that makes sense. Like, you know, when when guys were, were let go, they were let go, you know, face-to-face with Sir Alex. There was a conversation about where their next move should be. There was this this care factor for what happened next for them. Yeah, It's funny if you watch, you know, I don't know if you watch Sun Until I Die, I, I think I'm the only part. person not watching it. Everyone's watching it. I have to get onto it, but yeah. Well, I only, I only started watching it once the lockout started, so uh, it's it's worth a watch there. And anyway, in the yeah, so if um if you've watched uh, Sunderland till I die, there's a there's a part in the first season where they where Sunderland sign Ashley Fletcher on in the January transfer window, and there's a comment about um you know when you sign a, a Man United guy, a guy who's come from Man United, um you know you're getting a quality person. And I think, you know, that sort of going back to what I was saying about talking to those players who come through the youth system but maybe don't um, make it at United, there's a, always this care factor in terms of where they go next. Um, and they've got this reputation built for them that even if they're, it's not the finished product, they're going to work hard and, and they've come from a good footballing stock. So I think when you talk to players like that, you can 
you can sort of appreciate why the teams under Sir Alex were as good as they were and why they were able to main, maintain such a standard such a long time. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, we'll probably talk about the current state a bit later, but it, it was just interesting watching... Um, yeah, no, I've got to get on to it. Everyone's talking about it. Um, yeah, I definitely need to set a bit of time aside, which shouldn't be hard during this lockdown. Um, <laughs> so I will definitely do my best to get on to that. I think Larry's watching all. He's watching... What's the general football one? There's an English start of English football. Oh, the English one. game or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, one of those ones. I need to get on to it. But um, something we touched on a little bit earlier in terms of obviously we're connected back when you started the Facebook page and the website, but obviously me being in Sydney, yourself in Melbourne, um, never had personally met, but we met on the, as we said, United obviously visited the David Moyes preseason 2013 obviously the tour of Sydney, which sort of brought together the supporters clubs, um, which we'll get into. But something we mentioned with Alan Keegan, who was on the podcast the other week, if you haven't listened to that podcast, please go back and listen. I have to say that's probably one of my favourites, one of one of my favourite ones I've done so far. Mm. Really enjoyed that. But um, that Legends Night at the casino you were obviously at, and it was, yeah, the Brisbane guys were there. Perth had like one or two there. They obviously weren't an official club there. Melbourne were there, and us in Sydney were obviously there, and on stage was like so Francis Burns, Paddy Creran, Brian Robson, Dwight York, Andy Cole. Um, Do I miss anyone there? Um, don't think so. Uh, but, um, did you say Irwin? Irwin was there, Dennis wasn't he? Yeah, Dennis Irwin, yeah. of course. My bad. And um, yeah, even Alan Keegan just the other week said how much he enjoyed it, and I think everyone who was there, I, I still to this day say it's the best event the supporters club has ever been a part of. I thought it was just fantastic from start to finish like yes it was you see these sort of people on stage and not behind a sort of a red um red rope or anything but there was a real sort of personal touch and a connection you go up and meet the players you'd shake their hands have a photo etc but they'll share in stories just off the cuff nothing was sort of sort of scripted by the club in terms of little answers they like textbook answers they had to give they were given their honest opinion and obviously one or two had a couple of beers in them so they were really enjoying themselves <laughs> and it was just a, me- a moment that still to this day what well, seven years later now i'm coming on to seven years now is um i still remember like it was yesterday and yeah, just, was just your, your thoughts about um or just memories of that night etc Oh, it's funny. I don't know. I must. I was like so in awe of what was happening. If you ask me to re- recall what they were talking about, I, I really struggled to pull too much too much detail out. It was just one of those real surreal experiences where, you know, you spend your childhood and you know your teenage years sort of admiring all these players, and you know then they're all sort of sitting there in, in front of you. So um, no, it was a it was an awesome night. You know, we got. Plenty of good photos. I was just before I came on here, I was having a, a look back and 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 uh, remembering that night. And you know, even we were champions, so we had the the Premier League trophy there, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, Remember that guy they had there who always was walking around with the trophy in the gloves. Everyone thought it was yeah, Ferguson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He took yeah. so many selfies and autographs. Everyone thinking it was Sir Alex. Oh, fire! Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was a, it was an awesome that whole you know that whole um, weekend was was incredible. Um, yeah, well, we're just speaking then in terms of we're just talking what to talk about in terms of that tour, and in terms of what what ninety nine percent of it is centered around is the actual game. But at the end of the day, for the football people like, like ourselves, a preseason game it's it's nothing really. Like no matter how good United play, how much they win, like the Perth trip a couple of well, coming on to a year ago. 
They're great mm. watching the boys out there playing, but really, I couldn't be asked with it. Um, you could watch it on TV for all I care. It's about those moments outside of the game in terms of meeting up with fans before the games, etc., meeting certain people. Um, that's what those tours are about. The 90 minutes is almost... It's not boring, but it's a little bit of an inconvenience. You have to sort of go yeah. out of the way, then come back, and um, you'd rather just sort of the whole week just be in the pub sort of thing. Yeah, it's just that the game itself becomes a blur, and it's lost in all the fanfare before a game. And it's it's not unlike if you're lucky enough to go to Old Trafford and, and actually immerse yourself in some of the stuff that happens around the ground before the game. Um, it's not too dissimilar. I mean, I still remember the first time I went to Old Trafford. I was... I was so nervous for the game. I, we got there so early. We were sitting in our seats and, you know, it's like not even 30 minutes till kickoff. And I'm looking around the stadium. Like, are we are we here for a match or for like a, a tour of the stadium? Because mm. there was no one there. And then within five minutes, the whole the whole stadium was just full. Yeah. And it was a mid, it was a midweek night game. But, you know, it's it's like it was like that. Um, but in Sydney. And it was just, uh, it was a, it was a really, really great weekend. I didn't get, I didn't get to Perth for the last trip. Um, well, Perth but, was um, really good in terms of the comparisons which were talked about, sort of the supporters clubs and how the relationship has obviously strengthened in recent years. Um, mm-hmm. That city one, in terms of you mentioned the, you were at the Cheers Bar in terms of Brisbane put on a really good event at Cheers. However, the New South Wales branch couldn't go there because, in terms of one of the agreements for putting that Legends Night on was signing a like a agreement for that tour with the casino so we couldn't be seen right. promoting another pub which was sort of the Liverpool pub so um right. everyone being on different wavelengths in terms of well we have to stick by the casino in terms of they're letting us put this legends night on we can't go to cheers we can't go to Liverpool pub etc but Brisbane had obviously pre-organized their event there so it was hard everyone had their own little things which were all great but very separated however now right. this Perth one you fast forward 7 years and the sort of the evolution of social media and those communication lines, everyone was on the same pub. And Perth, everyone left it in the hands of Perth to organise. And Perth did a great job, like of hiring sort of this. I think it was an actual nightclub, which had closed down, but they had hired it for the week. In terms, of we put all our flags up there. You could leave the flags there all week. Um, it was just United fans only, sort of like a gold coin on entry. And wherever you were, like it was right near the players' hotel, so players could go, or sorry, fans could go and sort of wait in the hotel lobby for autographs, etc., and then jump back over to the pub for sort of a sing song before the game. And um, it was just run like absolute clockwork, and I think is a credit to all the supporters' clubs, not just yeah, the supporters' I... clubs, but all the fans who have travelled over as well, who weren't part of it. They all got involved. We had guys from England all involved, and. Yeah, it was fantastic and just show it goes to show how the relationship has sort of improved and sort of not learned from mistakes but just sort of evolved for the better yeah and i think you know it it, it totally makes sense that you know we, the the majority of the organizational stuff is in the hands of whichever supporters club is in effect hosting everyone mm-hmm. else so that was obviously a very good learning and obviously you know whatever happened in sydney i'm sure was was completely innocent in that respect but um you know, um, yeah, certainly from what I saw in terms of what was posted on, on social media and and from what I was reading before the tour in terms of all the work that Perth was doing to pull it all off, it just, you know, it's it's one of those things, you know, the club, we've been sort of lucky that they've come here twice in such quick succession um, after such a massive gap in between visits. But um, it's just something that everyone gets up for and, 
it's um it's a it's a great occasion so yeah it was, it was really great to see um um from one trip to the next yeah well we'll definitely like in terms of okay we we're here in sydney you only had to walk out the front door to the tour sort of thing but going to the perth trip it was almost like for our branch and the brisbane branch as well i thought it just felt a little bit better in terms of it was a little bit of a holiday like an away trip sort of thing so um we're hoping the next obviously united um make the trip out here again and obviously would love for it to be in sydney however i think it would be good if they go to brisbane or to melbourne um obviously two different states who haven't experienced it yet but it also for from just my personal things there's something about going in a way like treat it as like an away trip you have a week away from home and um just put your feet up and just relax where if you are the host supporters club there is a lot of work like the perth guys are working 24 7 just as the um, sydney guys were back in 2013 so Fingers crossed it's not too long um, before United return. Um, who knows? Thank God they weren't scheduled to travel this year because it obviously would have been mm. postponed. So we can count our lucky stars there. Now, you are just saying in terms of your first game at Old Trafford, I think we'll go into sort of... Um, we've talked about sort of what it's like... Or not, not what it's like supporting United in Australia, but an Australian perspective of a few things we have faced in recent years. But obviously, like many of us here, have made the odd journey or two to Old Trafford. And again, I think just talk about just sort of some good memories and first games and moments, the things that stick out in your mind. You were just talking about, what was the first game? You said it was a midweek game. Um, yeah, it was a midweek Premier League match against Aston Villa. So we went, I went with a mate. Uh, we went in, it must have been Jan slash Feb um, 2011. Uh, and, and the sole purpose of, you know, going to Europe in winter was, yeah, that's when the most games are being played. So that's mm. when you're, you got the best chance of getting, you know, some good fixtures. So um, we booked, we booked all our flights and stuff before I think the fixtures had even come out. And uh, the fixtures had come out, and we we wanted to try and get to a, a Manchester derby. So, yeah, there was a there was a game midweek um, against Aston Villa. Then on the weekend we were away to uh, Wolves, which we lost. And then the week the following weekend we played City. Um, yeah, the first game was a was a freezing cold night in Manchester um, against Aston Villa, and and Wayne Rooney scored within probably fifty five seconds of kickoff. Um, oh, was that the ball like, over the top, like a long ball? And yeah, yeah I think Van Dijk just punted it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was a, that was a good start to proceedings, and um, I think he scored two that night, and then Vidic scored quite a nice finish from not too far from where we were sitting. So that was good. Um, and then yeah, we so we sort of after that match we went down to London and um, yeah we were just watching whatever football we could watch in London. So I think we watched League One, we watched Championship, caught a few Premier League games, um, then like FA Youth Cup. And in that January period, there was just some sort of football to watch every mm-hmm. night. It felt like so it was great. Um, and then obviously back to Manchester for for the derby and. It was funny. So the, the the night before the derby, David May used to run these events called United Nights. And I'm, I'm not sure if he still does them or not. But essentially, it was meant to be um, you pay like I don't know, 10 quid to get into a, a United fans only event. Um, mm. And he organises a few ex-players to be there. Um, but, you know, the, the day before that was meant to go ahead, there were some, there were some concerns that some city fans were going to crash the party or whatever. So he, he quickly um, disbanded. Everyone got their money back and whatever. But, um, you know, we'll, we were going to catch up with all these people anyway. So someone just organised it to 
sort of go ahead without obviously the the ex United play. So we caught up, and that's where I first met Wayne. Um, actually, okay. so um, I can't even remember how many of us there were, but we, you know we just got on the turps all night, and we ended up at Rio Ferdinand. Someone got a tip off that David Beckham and Gary Neville were eating at Rio Ferdinand's restaurant. Okay, yeah, no, I've been there. Yeah, uh, I've, I've never eaten there, but we were sitting, we were standing in the bar area, and sh- sure enough, you know, there's there's Bex and, and Gary Neville, Jeez. you know, enjoying dinner. So we were all like trying to, you know, everyone's trying to work up the courage to go up to the table and no one quite did it. Anyway, so I've, I've gone down, I had to go to the bathroom. So I've gone to the bathroom and then one of the other guys comes down and goes, I'm going to wait in here. And I said, well, what are you waiting in here for? He goes, oh, well, maybe one of them will come in here, you know, to go to the toilet. I was like... <laughs> It's a bit well, crazy, but yeah, you, you respect, yeah, you respect the effort, I, I, I'm not I said, no, well, I'm, I'm going to go, go back out. Anyway, he got a photo with Gary Neville and I didn't, so yeah. uh, credit to him. Um, but that was that was pretty funny. And then, yeah, obviously the next day we had we had a derby match. So, um, yeah, it was it was, it was was sort of tense. I've, I've obviously been to like Melbourne derbies and all that sort of stuff, but it was it was like tense in Manchester. It was like this whole thing about don't wear your colours until you're at the ground or, you know, make sure you're sort of covering up your colours if you're in any, any venues before the match. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess the, the pubs around Old Trafford were all right, but the, you know, in the city centre was, was this tense feeling. So... Is we sort of kept covered up until we got to Old Trafford, and yeah, that was uh, that's you know you, when you get to if you're lucky enough to go to some of these big games, sometimes the the match itself is such a blur. But obviously, this was the game where Wayne Rooney scored the um the bicycle kick, so yeah. it was just an incredible match to be at, and uh, never forget that just the whole thing because I think Nani put us one nil up, and then yeah. Silver scored. I think Silver so scored in the second half. Yeah, it was like a deflected shot off Xhaka. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and, um, you know, I, I really wasn't sure how that game was going to go, but uh, I, I can still... There was this moment of perfect silence as the ball hang up, hung up in the air before. You know, you could sort of see what Rooney was trying to do. You can even hear and that. Then, you can even... That moment of silence you reference. You can oh. even feel that on the... Obviously, we were there, you were there. But you can even yeah. feel that in the commentary. There's a bit of a everyone holds their breath a little bit. Yeah, it was crazy. I, and you know what? I actually I try not to watch it. I try not to watch replays of it because I don't want it to tarnish. Yeah. I guess the the memory and the feeling of actually being there. But I mean, obviously, I've seen it on TV and stuff. Yeah. Um. Oh, that noise when it went in was just incredible. I, I think I nearly fell down like three rows because well, we were. Well, we well that's up. a moment that look at every United fan remembers. However. To be fortunate enough to be there, I think that's a, an iconic moment in terms of the image, what it meant, etc. That like we'll look back on in a you know, hundred years, people that'll be a photo outside Old Trafford, or there'll be a plaque about it, or something like that. Is something that has just etched itself into United's history, and to be yeah. yeah from Australia to be a part of that live in Manchester is something that um yeah very special. After the game, I was I turned to my mate and I was like. Well, I don't know if we should ever come back because I don't know yeah. if anything's ever going to top yeah. that. <laughs> Everything's uh, going to be a disappointment oh, from now on. Yeah. So, um, no, nah, that was obviously an incredible, incredible sort of trip and, you know, well, one of my favourite moments. Well, ever. you mentioned there just one of your stories earlier about, um, which has brought, just jogged my memory about Rio Ferdinand's restaurant. Um, 
Rosso's in Manchester. They've got a very similar story. I was obviously at a big game as well, United v Liverpool, in Ferguson's last season. Um, It was Robin Van Persie scored and Everest scored. Um, one, two, one. Well, technically the goal went down as Vidic, but at the time everyone thought Patrice Evra had scored. Um, just took a nick off um, Nemanja Vidic. But yeah, big game. I was really excited. One of the best days of my life. Here, sitting in the back of the Stratford end, United v Liverpool. Gerard and Suarez are out there. Evra was in the middle of his battle with Patri- um, with Evra was in the middle of his battle. Sorry, with um, Luis Suarez. And um, yeah, it's great. United won, really tense match, over the moon, buzzing. And we thought, oh, why not? We're only here for a couple more days. I was then with my wife or then girlfriend. Um, said we'll go to Rosso's restaurant. We'll dress up. We'll go out for a nice meal, sort of thing. Um, before we go, I think we'll fly back to Australia a couple of days later. And we're there. We dressed up, went out. Beautiful restaurant. If anyone has been, if anyone hasn't been, please go. Unbelievable restaurant. And we're sitting there, and a lot of people are sort of pointing fingers and turning around. And Jeanette's thinking, well, "What's this about? What's this about?" I'm saying, "Oh, it's Rio Ferdinand's restaurant." It's put, like you could see photos up on the wall about like players who have obviously been there, etc. And there's the names you mentioned in terms of Beckham, Ronaldo. They're all there on the wall, and um, they're saying they're pointing at someone behind you. And I said, uh, just jokingly, "Oh, it's probably Rio Ferdinand," but just off the cuff, I wasn't really thinking. <laughs> And I turned around, and there he was, five metres behind us, on a little sort of raised sort of table, seating area. Rio Ferdinand was there. And I had my back to him and thinking, oh, shit, I want to go up and get a photo, but I'm not going to go up to him when he's eating sort of thing. Yeah. And so oh. For the next hour I'm eating, I'm sort of trying to not look over my shoulder, but trying to sort of reach for something which makes me look over to make sure he's still there. And just being that close to someone, I was like, it was it was a feeling of nerves and excitement. It was really weird. Um Really weird. No, yeah, got to that stage where I was thinking, well, I'm never going to see him again, but I, I can't go up to him while he's eating sort of thing. You saw one or two people go up there. like yeah. One or two were younger people, a couple of kids, but a few adults as well. And you sort of caught a glimpse of how they went about it and Rhea Ferdinand and they got one or two guys there were fine with it. They said, yeah, have a photo. They signed something, which was 100% fine, but you just knew maybe it's not the right thing to do. Like You should leave it. And I yeah. thought... The, we're just about to go because I think there was a reservation. I think a few other people were, were going to have a party there. I think it was a Saturday night. And um, we're just about to leave. We said, ah, we're not going to get it done. We'll just go. But just as we were leaving, he was getting up as well. But everyone was rushing towards him. When they when he got up, everyone started walking towards him. I thought, oh, God, it's not going to be... It's just not going to happen. So we just waited at the door for a little bit. Um, I think we're discussing, um, are they open the following night? We're going to come back when it was more quiet. And yeah, he just walked past me, um, which is lucky. And Jeanette had her camera out and um, yep. got a quick photo with Rio Ferdinand. And again, just something like that, which we've talked about in the past in terms of that's an incident for a player which they won't even remember. It's nothing. It's probably an inconvenience for them. However, yeah, yeah, for a yeah. fan, you just remember it for your life, for the rest of yep. your life. And um, yeah, the you, thanks for jogging my memory of Rosso's restaurant. Um, <laughs> if you're ever in Manchester, <laughs> go, it's, it's, uh, it's an unbelievable me, restaurant. But... Um, yeah, any other Old Trafford, Manchester memories? Um, yeah, so I, I, last time I went was in 2017, so obviously a very different state for the club. Um, obviously, we'd come off a good year, so the year before was Jose's first full season, so obviously winning the um, Europa League um, back in the Champions League, so it was a bit of optimism around that season, and I was... By sheer dumb luck, my wife's Macedonian, so we were we were in Macedonia for the um, the Super Cup against uh, Real Madrid. 
so I got to I got to go to that game, um, which you know, we were probably Lukaku scored a goal that gave us a bit of hope. We were two 0 down, and we never yeah. really looked like getting back into the game. But um, you know, it was it was obviously great to watch a match of that magnitude and to to see the team um, live again. And then we had tickets to go and see them um, in Manchester, Leicester City, which I think was maybe the third or fourth game of that season. Um, and that was a 2-0 win. It was pretty nervy. I, I remember it being a pretty nervy game, and then we scored two goals in the, in the second half, which was, which was nice because that was sort of right in front of where we were sitting. So, um, yeah, uh, obviously another, another great occasion. A um, bit different going with your, your, your fiancé slash wife uh, <laughs> than it is going with the boys. But, uh, no, it was, it was a, still a great, great day out. And, um a good chance to sort of get back to Old Trafford. You sort of, I don't know, it's a, it's just one of those things when you do get there, you just want to sort of save every second that you're there because you just don't know how long it's going to be before you get back. Uh, yeah, yeah, I count I think, myself I lucky to thing. Me. I think that's the thing for anyone listening, and a lot of our listeners are obviously from Australia. It is a tough trip. One, especially doing it now, who knows what the next travel sort of restrictions will be. So who knows mm. next time you can get there. But if you haven't been... It costs a lot of money. It's a lot of effort, a lot of planning, um, a lot of luck in terms of getting tickets, etc. But save up and, and go. Even if you can only go once in your life, it's something I think any United fan has to do. It's almost a rite of passage. It's something you have to. If it's if it's possible, save up all your pennies and just do it once. Um, regardless, even if you can't go to a game, I'll go back just to visit the stadium again. And I've been there plenty of times. But just something about when you step foot at that ground. Um, the memories and emotions just all stir up. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners have um, made the trip, but if you haven't, start saving those pennies for when um, the airport's open again. The airports are probably closed now, I think. But um, that is a topic for another day. Now, we'll just get on to you're just... It's been a while since we've actually talked a little bit of football um, in terms of the current state of things. We're just going to talk a little bit now because in recent weeks, a lot of the transfer rumours everyone's talked about has been very... Sort of, I wouldn't say lazy journalism, but sort of real nothing stories in terms of, okay, this club's interested in this player, they're interested here, this this player might sign there. Nothing of any real substance. However, the two names obviously linked with United are obviously very big names, and there seems to be a little bit more credibility and substance um, surrounding those stories. We'll start with Harry Kane at the moment, and we'll just have maybe, maybe 10 minutes to finish this podcast talking about Harry Kane and then Jaden Sancho. But um, the first bit on Harry Kane, 200 million. Before we get into the player and the fee, in regards to the fee, how do you think a club is sort of going to perceive this transfer window in terms of everyone struggling for money, millions of people around the world losing their job? Maybe you look at some clubs furloughing their non-playing staff. What do you think it looks like for then a club to go out and say, okay, two hundred million for your player? Do you think there's sort of a moral issue approaching this transfer market, or do you think when football returns, this will just be a thing of the past and people just start splashing, splashing the cash as they like? Well, in terms of the moral issue, I mean, Tottenham. There's no secret with Tottenham. Every player at Tottenham's for sale for the right the right yeah. price. And it's always a matter of who's willing to pay what they want to, to get their players. Um, so them being uh, perhaps the only difference here is how public they've been with what they what they want for Harry Kane. Because I don't really remember too many other times where they've flouted a price like that. 
for one of their stars. Um, you know, I always like to keep that sort of stuff. But I think by setting a price like 200 million, they're effectively saying this is what it's going to take to get him. Anyone who wants him, and you know, <laughs> anyone who's willing to pay 200 million for Harry Kane, I mean, you'd snap their hands off, surely. Um, yeah. uh, look, I. I don't get too fussed by what United spends on players because at the end of the day, I don't think I don't care. It's not my money. It's it's the club's money. the The club generates so much revenue, it should be able to spend that money on you know, however it needs to 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 get the players they need. But I think I'd almost make an exception with with Harry Kane because I think that's a outrageous fee for any one player, but particularly one with the injury issues and the injury history that Harry Kane has had spending that sort of money on, on one player, you'd want a pretty solid track record of them playing week week out for the yeah, last two or three seasons. Yeah, it's a weird one. I don't want to at all compare him to Alan Shearer. However, the, what the comparison I would make is England's number one striker. We missed out on Alan Shearer for whatever reason, whether you know Blackburn didn't accept the bid or he chose Newcastle, etc. We didn't get Alan Shearer. And it was always a case of what if. And obviously Shearer went on to, obviously won the Premier League at Blackburn but obviously went on to do great things at Newcastle, but obviously ultimately he didn't win the titles. However, with United, it was what could he have won if he joined us. Now, Harry Kane obviously will go on to potentially maybe even rival Alan Shearer's goal-scoring record, but at Tottenham, and it's a bit sort of hypocritical from United's point of view, but United is still sort of more likely to win trophies than Tottenham. So if he stays at Tottenham, he might score those goals, but those trophies might sort of evade him. And it'll be a bit of a case if we don't sign him, or well, what could have been if we had England's not number one striker like we did with Wayne Rooney, it could be a match made in heaven. However, you do argue, do sort of have the right opinion in terms of, well, for that money and likely he's all, often injured, especially it's not just little injuries here and there. He usually spends a big chunk of a season out injured, and it's not just once or twice. It seems to be every single season that happens. So... I think for the player, you could always argue, okay, I want the player or I don't want the player. There's that issue. But when it is an issue of £200 million, as much as I do want Harry Kane, I couldn't do it. There's no way I could spend big money like that on him. And I think that's probably what he would cost. I think Tottenham are in a position where they can sort of hold firm unless Harry Kane sort of forces a move. But um, in my opinion, if I was spending money on Harry Kane, I would be, look, this is a hell of a lot of money, but I wouldn't want to go more than... A hundred million. I, and I th- look, I think, I think they've put out this demand knowing that there are very few clubs in this climate who are going to be willing to test, you know, test the waters with a bit in that in that region. And um, I think, I can't see clubs going into this next transfer window looking to spend two hundred million yeah. on one player, particularly after the interruption that, you know, of COVID nineteen, which. You know, for all this talk of you know the Bundesliga potentially starting back up, Premier League looking at how they're gonna how they're gonna get some sort of action going again, it's all it's all up in the air at the moment. And and frankly, I I really struggle to see how they're gonna get this season done. I, I, I I'm 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 scrambling for yeah. it's all good and well to to rush it through so that Liverpool can win the title. And you know, I have no qualms as much as I hate to admit it that. They deserve it, and uh, you know they've been the best team all year. But it's it's all the other scenarios: Europe, relegation, promotion. You know you can't rush through the top half of the tables just so that you can award a champion uh, and leave every other question, which which frankly have far bigger implications for the teams that are involved in those discussions. Um, 
know, uh, leave them hanging or, or deny a team like Leeds, for instance, the chance to win the promotion that they've spent yeah. millions to achieve. So it's a really tough one. And oh, that's obviously another issue. But in terms of how the next transfer window plays out, um, yeah, I, I can't imagine any club going to that transfer window willing to spend $200 million on, on on a single player potentially on on you know on the whole squad let alone one player yeah well you know i think we definitely haven't heard the end of it especially if tottenham are actually making sort of public statements and getting the word out there there's definitely something in there whether that's coming from harry kane's point of view or united's point of view i think there's definitely something there but um well, kane, another... kane's been on record recently just saying yeah, he's thought, not yeah. going to stick around tottenham to say yeah. he's stuck around at tottenham if he's going to he's getting to a point in his career now where his next contracts is his big move. So I think another factor, which we always look at Daniel Levy for Tottenham and Harry Kane and Daniel Levy sort of big power sort of figures at Tottenham. However, I think there's another chess piece involved there at the moment who does have a United connection, obviously Jose Mourinho. And I think that's just the third sort of party that is going to throw another spanner in that work in the works there, which I just think there's too many hurdles there and too many issues surrounding the Harry Kane transfer. I think it'd be a great striker to have. However, I think the price would the price in many issues the price in the, obviously the financial aspect, but the price of okay you're dealing with his injury record you're dealing with Daniel Levy you're dealing with Jose Mourinho, you're dealing with maybe the potential development of Marcus Rashford or Mason Greenwood. I just think it's just too complicated on too many. I'd welcome the player if he joins 100% over the moon. I just think it's a little bit too. It's just not worth it. Um, at the end right, of the day, it, I don't it, it can only happen if Kane makes it happen. And, yeah. you know, what's he on? He's on a six-year deal. I think it runs out in 2024. Yeah. So he's sort of, you know, by signing that sort of deal, he's he's taken a lot of the power out of his own hands. Um, well, so. a, another English player who there's definitely something in this as well. Um, a few reliable journalists have sort of said, look, it might not happen. It might happen. But there's definitely interest from both parties. Um, I think a lot may depend on the Champions League qualification, etc., and how the season pans out. But obviously, probably the biggest name in English football at the moment, Jadon Sancho. Now, look, it looks like if you're going to put money on it, it looks like it will happen, in my opinion. However, it very well might not, because one, are we going to be in the Europa League, which is a very likely situation in terms of if this season finishes or if it does finish, there's a very good chance, like it or not, that we will be in the Europa League. Obviously, we have signed big players in the past. However, I'd be shocked if Jaden Sancho joins a Europa League club in terms of the way his sort of price is going and what he's turned into. But just your thoughts on the arrival of Jaden Sancho? Do you think it's something that is sort of written in the stars for Man United and the player, or do you think it's a little bit, little bit risky? He's a hundred percent the sort of player United need to target. I think he's a he's a quality talent. You know, he's young. He's obviously got the English connection as well. I love the fact that he took his career overseas. And yeah. um, I think that that shows a lot about, you know, his his character and his determination to... to um, which, you know, you very rarely see English players do for, for their investment in him. But um, I think it's 100%. He's the sort of player I'd love to see United get. But I agree with you. I think without Champions League football... Um, it'll be very hard to get him across, and in many ways, if he does come across without Champions League football, I start to question 
Yeah, I, I almost start to question: Are they coming to the club for the right reasons? I think it's a very similar situation, and well, very similar, but also very different. Depends on which way you look at it. But um, Paul Pogba joined in without knowing yeah. Champions League football. You think this yeah. is a player who has the world at his feet, can do what he wants, and you think, well, okay, why exactly is he coming back? What's he been sold? And um, obviously, we all welcome Paul Pogba as we would welcome Jaden Sancho into Europa League team. However, it does if things don't turn out well it'll raise those questions which obviously have been raised at Paul Pogba at the moment. It's an interesting one. It's just when, when we're not playing Champions League football and, we, and we're signing these big stars, as much as we need them to get back, yeah. to get back, and there's no doubt that our squad needs investment. But, you know, credit to... I've been so up and down with, with Solskjaer, to be honest. Um, Join the club. <laughs> yeah, you know. But the one, the, the one thing you have to say for him is the signings have been pretty much on the mark. Yeah. I would argue that in the post Fergie years, he's the manager that has produced the the most enjoyable football. Oh, it's been well, frustrating yeah. because it, at times it's been really bad. Um, but when it's right under Ole, I, yeah. I just feel like it's been entertaining. It's been... We've, we've won some big matches. you just got a bit of a um, smile on your face when it goes well with Solskjaer. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Correct, you know, and I never felt that, definitely never felt that with Moyes. Um, very rarely with Van Gaal. Less, I don't know, I, I, with Mourinho, yeah, we had some good moments with Mourinho, obviously, you know, and we won some silverware, but I just feel like Ole, in the time that he's had, the best performances have been the Probably, arguably, the best performances post Fergie. When you when you consider the squad he's got, yeah, um, no, um, that no, isn't, you know yeah. he doesn't he doesn't have the squad that Moyes had that had just won a Premier League. He doesn't have, in many ways, a squad that people had that was signing Di Maria, Falcao. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people make that comparison. They talk about United are on track to even if we make the Champions League this year. There's a sort of a scenario where we'll still finish on less points than we did with David Moyes, which will put us technically our worst ever season. And there's comparisons being made, well, Solskjaer's on track for their worst ever season and in terms of comp- a special direct comparison with David Moyes. However, just as you mentioned there, you, when you're talking about that, you have to take into consideration David Moyes had Wayne Rooney, Robin Van Persie, Rio Ferdinand, Vidic, Evra, Ryan Giggs, etc. He had a championship-winning team. And... Um, Solskjaer obviously didn't take over a championship winning team. He took over an absolute circus with issues from top yeah. to bottom. So um, I always feel Solskjaer is extremely hard done by in those comparisons because we might say the season returns and we finish in the top four. There's still a chance we'll have less points in that David Moyes season, which is, well, that's what I've been told. I haven't actually looked at the table. I don't look at tables anymore. They're a little bit too depressing. Yeah. But um, yeah, interesting. I definitely agree. And um, hopefully we can actually start talking about the ladder and table and upcoming fixtures, but um, there has been no real developments at the moment. Um, I'm sure, I know in Australia they're talking about some type of curve being maybe starting to flatten. I'm not sure that is the case in England, so I think it might take a little bit longer in England. And obviously it's a very different lifestyle. A lot of people live a lot closer together in England in terms of the big cities compared to Australia. So it might take a little bit longer in England to get back to normal. But um, is there anything else to discuss on this podcast? Anything springs to mind or? Ah, I mean, um, yeah, it's obviously interesting times in general for the world. And, uh, you know, we, we live in our football bubble. So we're obviously very concerned about what's happening there. But um, 
yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's great. I think we're we're quite lucky here in Australia, and obviously the the damage has been relatively limited, and most people seem to be doing the right thing, which is good. It's just you know you're just yearning for some sense of normality, and uh, and for most of us that includes football. So um, yeah, 100%. yeah. So we'll just wait and see what happens. Thing. Yeah, and I think that's one thing which I'm holding a little bit of hope on. Just if you are feeling a little bit down, waiting for the football, just remember that when the football does come back, and this is my opinion, that when the football does come back in the English Premier League, is obviously obviously be behind closed doors. However, what I think that'll mean for especially the TV companies is they'll put games on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I think there'll be it'll be like a mini World Cup for like maybe two months, just games every single day. Um, Again, I haven't heard that. Obviously, I have no inside knowledge. That is just an opinion. But um, that is that would be good, just watching Premier League every single night or obviously be morning um, Australian time. But um, there will be light at the end of the tunnel and hopefully it revo- um, involves United. Well, we're still in two competitions, still win the Europa League and FA Cup, so hopefully they don't abandon those competitions. But um, yeah, again, that's another hurdle the organisers have to get over because... It's not just getting one competition. You need to get a European competition back in action. But um, comes on to about an hour of this chat. It was a good chat, man. Good to chat again. Um, we we'll just need to United to make the trip out to Australia again to meet up. Yeah, that's it, mate. Well, uh, next time I'm in Sydney, I'll, I'll be sure I shout out. Yeah, definitely. And um, anyone else who has been listening um, wherever in Australia, um, or anywhere around the world especially, but um, sorry, especially in Australia, Get in touch and get on the podcast and just say, as we just mentioned, there are all the different supporters clubs, Perth, Brisbane, um, Melbourne's still there, Sydney's going strong. So um, get in touch and your Facebook page is still, the Facebook page is still there. So if anyone wants to take over it, um, you say get in touch with yourself and it can just act as that little bit of a sort of connection and platform for people to get their views and opinions across. That's good, mate. Um, I'm just about to think there's nothing else I have written down. So again, thank you everyone for listening. Um, what's your Twitter, Matt? Uh, yeah, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at MG91. And we'll definitely leave a link in the podcast for that. So, um, yeah, make sure you listen on your phone now as we speak. So just click on your iTunes or SoundCloud, whatever it is, and please give a like or rate into the podcast. It does very much put a smile on Larry's face when he wakes up in the morning. So please do that. And we will, I think we've got a few guests lined up in the next couple of weeks as well. So um, some very interesting stories coming your way. So thank you again to Matt for joining us. And we will chat to you again on Thursday or Friday, our time. So thanks for that and cheers. See ya. Oh!